My favorite spot, and I don't get to do this enough, but it, it, especially in the summer, if I can take a few minutes and I walk, I honestly like to just walk and sit on a bench by the seal, by the hub there kind of stuff, and just admire the beauty of, of this campus. That's Mark Rubin, Dean of Miami's Farmer School of Business, and an absolute delight to speak with. He is retiring after 29 years, 29 years of educating me and thousands of kids at Miami. Plus, he spent four years as a student in Oxford and a Miami merger of 44 years. He began teaching Miami in 1990, same year I started as a freshman. Pretty cool. We jump around in the discussion talking about how calculators were the it tech on campus for him, but not until his junior year, to mentoring, modeling, and learning, how students can even learn from that. And then a moment where we touch on his favorite spots to cherish on campus and what's next for him and his family. My sister went here. First time I ever stepped on this campus was 1968. Oh, my gosh. I can tell you that. Now, I came as a student in 1971, but my sister was here for a year, and uh, I remember coming down to visit her. That's when you still wore sport coats to football games oh at the old Miami field. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't remember a whole lot about other than staying with one of her friends in a dorm kind of thing, And but I do remember, gosh, this is what college is supposed to look like. It's pretty cool. It's pretty nice, you know. Uh, so that was my first. And then when it was time for me to apply to college, really Miami was the only place I looked at. Mm. I mean, I applied to one other place just to be sure that I got in somewhere. But, um, yeah, it was just Miami was like, okay. You know, my dad said, as long as you stay in state, we'll, we'll pay your tuition. So I said Miami was a place. And uh, a year later, then my, now my wife of 44 years, but we had, were our dating in high school. So uh, uh, she came to Miami then, then a year later. So, uh, but uh, 1971, Sims Hall. What was, and, uh, t- tell me about the technology or lack of technology <laughs> in, ni- in, in 1971. And uh, I was, okay. I was born one year, I was born one year later, 1972. Okay. But tell me, tell me, you, obviously your, are handwriting and you're turning in papers, but what type of technology oh, sure. was, was used uh, in any way? Well, the only technology we really had Believe it, we had you know you you had to type papers, and I was a terrible typist, so that was a real challenge. Because whenever you made a mistake typing, that was a mess. You know, you could get try to erasable. People will remember erasable uh, typewriting paper would smudge all over, or you try to use like the whiteout type of stuff, and it just my papers didn't look very good at all if I had to type any of them. So yeah, a lot of them were handwritten if they allowed you to do it. Certainly in freshman English, you would handwrite papers and stuff, but then typewriter. And when I first started taking my first accounting course, which wasn't really till the next year, till the 72, 73 year, I bought an adding machine. Calculators <laughs> were waged. Uh, the calculators, a handheld calculator, they may have just been coming out around then and they were really expensive. 
And so I literally bought a 10 key adding machine. So for my accounting courses, which I had for many years, kind of stuff as well too. And then I finally got my first handheld calculator, probably my senior year of college. And that's when all it did is add, subtract, multiply, and divide. It was a Texas instrument and it cost me $70. And I thought, what a bargain, (laughs) what a bargain. It's the same one that banks would give out for free that does more today than the one that cost me $70, which is pretty good money back then, you know, but uh, we had a computer lab on campus. I I shouldn't call it computer, a computational lab. And you would go and wait in line to use a calculator that was really hard to read. And basically, again, all it did was add, subtract, multiply, and divide. So before I got my handheld, we'd have to wait in line at Laws Hall for these calculators so you could you know, do uh, some statistical calculation or an accounting, add up a bunch of numbers or something like that. But still, most of it you do is manual uh, back then. So technology was... uh, not I, I took my first coding course probably in my junior year, and the big deal then was, of course, it was punch cards. And you took your punch cards to the basement of Hughes Hall, and you would turn them in. And I think it took about a day, and you would get your, uh, your printout about a day later. If I recall correctly, they actually had to take your punch cards by truck down to a computer in Cincinnati and that's where they would run it and then bring back your your printout. And if you made a mistake, you had to wait a whole nother day to, to do that kind of stuff. It was, it was pretty crazy well, when you it, think about yeah, what it was. And, and incredibly, I mean, only 15 years later, a little bit longer, when I was at Miami, the fraternity, if there were 70 people living in the fraternity, there was only one computer that everyone right. shared. So yeah, it's, sure. it's really only been in the last 15, 20 years where that has changed dramatically. We had to... We had to do the same thing, not waiting for a calculator, but certainly a computer lab. You had to sit yeah. and wait uh, until one opened up for you. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All, all that technology, you know, you used to have to walk around first when, when uh, personal computers finally came in, which was the early 80s, I guess. Um, you know, the old, I don't know if you remember, there were Osborne computers and they, you know, they'd weigh, personal computer weighed 50 pounds easily. <laughs> there were these big things and you had to lug around, you know, your disks, which you had an operating disk that had your program on it and then a data disk. And, you know, there were the big floppies and over the years, you know, it's progressed to where your phone does more than those things did, but it's, it was pretty amazing. That is probably the biggest change I've seen. In my I would, career, certainly is I would love to give my three kids that are ages nine to 16, a five, yeah. a five and a quarter inch floppy and, <laughs> and, and just have them guess in, in, in what, what, what that is. I, I would think oh, yeah. they would say, is this, would this go on Poppy and grandma's, uh, record like machine? Like do yeah. you spin, spin music with this? Or? Yeah, right. Is this an LP? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Not, oh, absolutely. My kids. And the thing is, you know, when I got when I was teaching all these years and new technologies would come in and the students would be sometimes more adept at those technologies than I was. And 
and they would, you know, snicker. I would joke about myself and, and how I had to learn these technologies. And they would laugh. I go, wait a minute, guys. Don't you think your kids are going to laugh at you? They're going to look at that keyboard and go, why is the Q and the W and the E on the top row in, in order? What, what kind of keyboard is that? Yeah. Why, why did you have to use a QWERTY keyboard? I mean, they're going to look at all these kind of things that we still do today and they'll go, that's ridiculous. You didn't know. But, so it's always it's always going to be like that. And if anything, faster today, right? Um, when, you know, I used a PC for a long time when I was, when I left Miami, I, I did, I, I got a graduate degree in accounting and then I was a CPA for a while and then went back for my doctorate and then, and, and then joined the Academy. But, uh, you know, most of these things you just bootstrapped as, as far as new technologies, but you had time to do that. Yeah. You know, there was, you know, you kind of, Oh, oh, here's a PC, and you would learn how to use it over a while on your own. There were, you know, nobody offered you classes in it, or you just kind of learned how to do it. And then they kept getting better and better, and you would kind of adapt to, to the software and the hardware. Now it's so fast. It's like what, what we offer a freshman, we're always worried about by the time they're a senior, is that still relevant or not in, in the world of uh, data analytics, software, hardware, you know, computational power, apps, all those kind of things. You know, four years ago, we didn't teach Tableau, which got to be, you know, basic business communication software. And now, of course, we have to teach Tableau. It would be a disservice to our students if we weren't teaching that type of stuff. How do I know what what the next four years is going to be like? So student comes in this year. How do we get them ready for four years from now? It's, it's so let's go go back though. Yeah. You mentioned it. Yeah. You came out of Miami. Um, mm-hmm. You ultimately went down the accounting path in private business. What mm-hmm. what was it that you didn't love about accounting, or what was the light bulb moment that said, "I actually want to go back into the education field"? Oh, interesting. Uh, actually, when I came to Miami, I was an accounting major from the get go, but I totally plan on going to law school. I never thought I'd be an accountant day in my life. I just figured, oh, business degree is good. My dad had an accounting degree, although he never really practiced either. But I go, yeah, accounting, that will go good. I heard that goes well with law. And honestly, I'd rather be in the business school than arts and science because if I get a degree in political science, I'm not really sure what to do with that if I don't go to a law school and you have to take a foreign language. And that wasn't my thing. (laughs) I had tried a number of foreign languages in my K through 12 experience and none of them really resonated well. So I said, "Mm, business makes more sense. Accounting makes more sense. And the business school wasn't all that big at the time. So I started taking accounting courses my sophomore year, still plan on going to law school. At the same time, I'm taking political science courses um, at Miami as well too. love those Uh, senior year. I apply to law school. I get admitted to a number of law schools, and I get to know the chair of the accounting department pretty well, a guy named Harry Lyle. And Harry, I had for three classes. The first two classes I had him with, I probably never spoke to him out of class. Just went in class, did my thing, was good enough accounting major that I didn't need to worry about out-of-class help. And then I took my third class with him, and something came up that he had to call me into his office. It, it, it wasn't actually about me personally or somebody else, but he called me into his office and we started talking. And I go, wow, not only is this guy a great instructor, he was a great professor in class, very professional, very well organized. I learned a lot of accounting from him. Great role model for what, what a professor should be like in the classroom. But he really cares about the students a lot too. And he gets to sit here and talk to students. I go, you know, I'm pretty good in accounting. 
maybe that's what I should do is mm. do his job. And so I really did get interested in teaching accounting from my experience at Miami and getting to know the, the, the chair of the accounting department quite well. And so I would visit in my senior year a lot. I'd just go in his office and chat and find out a lot about him. He was from Hillsborough, Ohio, and all kinds of things about him. Uh, and I go, maybe that's what I really want to do. So I actually applied to get a doctorate right out of Miami. And I did go to a, a doctoral program right out of Miami, thinking I was going to join the academy right away. But after a year or so of, of uh, graduate education, I decided, you know, maybe I'm getting a little burned out. I'm not, I don't really have a, a distinct direction within uh, accounting research and things like that. And so through a lot of other decisions, I ended up saying, I'm just going to go work. Mm-hmm. So I got my master's at Illinois and went to work as a CPA. I just kind of wrote letters to firms and said, hey, I'm on the market. I'm looking for a job and luckily landed a job in Chicago with Arthur Young, which is now part of Ernst & Young. And uh, did that for three years, I earned my CPA and all that. And I said, you know, this is nice, but the academy calls. I really did want to go back and, and teach. I thought that was really more my calling than being a practicing accountant. And my wife at the time, who graduated Miami with a degree in special education, she had been a special ed teacher and really decided she'd like to pursue a, a a graduate degree as well. So that's why we both ended up applying for graduate school and both ended up uh, going to the University of Texas to get our graduate degrees, our PhDs at Texas. So, uh, and then, and then right out of there, did you come right back to Miami to teach or was No, no, no. My first, my first faculty job was at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Okay. And uh, there was actually a couple of Miami connections there. One of the other faculty there had an undergraduate degree uh, from uh, Miami. And one of the graduate students who I ended up working with uh, at North Carolina, her dad was the dean of the business school at Miami while I was here. That was Dean Mokel. And his daughter was getting her PhD in accounting mm-hmm. at the time at North Carolina. So we were all over the place, uh, the Miami connections. Uh, but in any event, uh, no, I went to Chapel Hill and was on their faculty for about five years. And then it was time to come back to Ohio. My wife's family and my family were both up in Cleveland. And so we decided uh, we had kids and we really wanted to be closer to our to our parents and their grandparents. And I loved Miami and I gave a call and I said, hey, do you have any openings? And they said, hey, we do. So uh, why don't you come down, uh, come back and interview? which I did, and uh, then came back in 1990 on the faculty. And was the the previous chair who got you interested in education from the beginning still at Miami then? Lyle? He had retired, okay. but he was still alive, but okay. he was not of great health anymore. Oh, okay. And I did get to see him when I interviewed. He said, you know, Mark, I would never come out for anybody else's interview, but he, um, he, he came to my interview, uh, a little reception. I got to see him. I ran into him a couple of times in the early 90s before he passed away uh, kind of stuff. So he never knew that I actually became the department chair and literally sat at his desk. Um, Some of the other faculty who knew me as a student and then came back, they were here and said, you know, wow, Harry would have been so proud when you became department chair. Mm, that's 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 a special moment. You don't often get to sit at the desk of your mentor, who yeah. meant so much to me uh, at that time. 
And uh, yeah, so that was that was just fabulous. And I, becoming a dean wasn't even in my thoughts, really. Uh, it's just okay, you know. I love the county and love the department. Uh, wanted to keep the the legacy going because there were there was just great you know great predecessors in the department of accountancy. Uh, Raleigh Nusslanger, I think, is the guy who really put us on the map um, as a department. Uh, he wrote the biggest selling accounting textbook in its day uh, that we used. Uh, that was the first, your first accounting textbook was written by uh, Raleigh Nusslanger and Phil Fess. Phil Fess was at Illinois, but Phil was a Miami graduate as well, too. And uh, that book did very well. So Raleigh uh, gave back to the department in many ways, but that was, uh, he really put us, I think, on the map. And he became a president of the American. American Accounting Association. Um, the faculty member I mentioned at North Carolina who had a Miami undergraduate, he became a president of the American Accounting Association. And last year I was president of the American Accounting Association. That's so funny. it really was that my, those Miami uh, roots go pretty deep yeah, they as, do. Far, as far as accounting particularly. Yeah. You, you mentioned um, sitting at your mentor's desk. Talk, mm-hmm. Let's just talk about mentorship for a second. In, in these conversations I have with alum, uh, time and time again, that's it's a subject of, and, and not even brought up by a question by me, but others talking about influences um, outside of family that help mm-hmm. them in life. And some of it's business mentorship. Some of it just is life skills, could be marriage skills or uh, many other things. To, to an 18-year-old who's just walking down High Street this past couple months for the first time, or the 22, 21-year-old who's going to leave Oxford this coming May. What are maybe some of those tips or thoughts in terms of finding mentors or continually learning every day and, and really how to learn? I, I, I couldn't agree with you more that, that that is key, is always take advantage of any learning situation. And, and they're, they're constant. I, I would say that as an undergraduate, Harry Lyle was a model to me. I, I, I didn't think of him as, oh, he didn't personally mentor me that much toward my senior year when I started talking about grad school. Certainly, we talked about that a bit, but it was just the modeling. And that's how I kind of think of myself in a way. I don't, I don't reach out to people that much and say, hey, you know, do what I do. I'd hope that people say, wow, He's been a real model because he cares about students. He, uh, you know, was 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 good in the classroom, or or the way he balanced his career, or what he did in his career. So I think modeling is really important, and and I think any student can, when they're in a class, should think about um, those models and what 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 really works to me. Integrity, transparency, communication, uh, taking responsibility are all really key. Those those words on the farmer school of integrity, respect, and responsibility to me are really important words. Uh, I know they were important to Richard T. Farmer uh, and and his family, and they're certainly important to me too. That if you don't have integrity, what you know, what do you? What do you offer in business? So people with integrity were really really important to me in the way they conduct themselves. You know, there's there's uh, unfortunately the other models too of people that you see in public life or in personal life or whatever who don't necessarily act with integrity, respect, and responsibility either. And and those are the people you say I don't want to be like those. Mm-hmm. So certainly modeling I I think is key. And then learning experiences always were important to me as far as any opportunity that I could get. I'll give you an example. When I was in public accounting, 
they gave me a call one day and said, would you like to be a computer auditor? I didn't know very much about computer auditing. I go, what do I got to do? They said, well, we'll send you to computer audit school for three weeks, you know, and then you'll come out and you'll do that. I go, you'll send me three weeks to school. You know, I collect my paycheck and all that. They go, yeah. I go, count me in. I go, I don't know what I'm getting into, but if you're willing to teach me something for three weeks, uh, you know, on, on your, on your nickel, I'm more than happy to, to do that and take advantage of that. And I think all through my career, that was always important. Whatever I can learn, whatever I can read, whatever I can be introduced to, and, and not necessarily just always directly in my, in, in, in my life's Either uh, I read a lot of history, for example, and a lot of uh, historical biographies. And boy, you read about our, our founding fathers. Whether and I've read, you know, about Washington and Adams and and Hamilton, and and then then I read Grant's biography. And you learn something in all those that are amazing about leadership, by how these historical figures presented themselves and how they conducted themselves. And it's amazing what you can learn from all facets of life and how that impacts yourself as it's well, too. It, yeah, so, and it's interesting when you talk about leadership or, or really learning, and you, you don't reference necessarily a book that's taught um, about skills, but you, you can even go back to you know, modeling somebody from a couple hundred years ago and learn yep. how they led, too. So there's, there's so many different ways one, one can lead. Uh, 30 years, almost 30 years in Oxford— yeah. And right. four years pre- before that, and even a visit right. to your sister when she was there. So you get, it's about 35 <laughs> right. years in there of, yeah. of yeah. Oxford. Um, yeah. There's some obvious ones of what you will miss when you, dis- when you move on. But give me, yeah. give me the, the spot on campus or the location in a particular wing of a dorm or the business school that – uh, we'll always cherish something special for you. Well, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, by the way, when we moved into the Farmer Building, my office as accounting chair overlooked my freshman dorm window. <laughs> that was always pretty amazing. I go, gee, and you know, in, in forty years, I barely moved from Sims Hall <laughs> over to where Farmer is. So that always kind of was amusing to me. My favorite spot, and I don't get to do this enough, but. It, it, especially in the summer, if I can take a few minutes and I walk, I honestly like to just walk and sit on a bench by the seal, by the hub there mm-hmm. kind of stuff, and just admire the beauty of, of this campus and, and what it all means. It's kind of centered there in a lot of ways because I can still see Laws Hall from there where more or less my career started. You know, you see Upham, which is the iconic building. You see Rowdebush, which was the administrative. You see Stoddard and Elliott, which were from the history of the campus where, where we really started, the buildings that are still left from there. And so to me, that was always really one of my favorite places just to sit and kind of absorb Miami for what, you know, for, for, uh, for what it was from its early beginnings to, to where it is today and stuff. So that's still probably my my favorite place on campus, mm. especially in the summer when it's yeah. nice and quiet and the f- trees are all in bloom and, and stuff. Uh, it's really nice, especially if it's not too hot outside, <laughs> like not today kind of stuff. Well, but, uh, I, I am jealous because as you say, you, you went back to Miami in 1990. And, I am and, super fortunate. And, and that's super when I started at Miami. Yeah. And so yeah. unfortunately, I only got four years and six weeks after the four years. Uh, there you go. But you got another 25 from there. So tell me, tell me what's next. 
That's a good question. Um, we're going to move uh, probably up to where my uh, daughter and her husband and my grandkids are. Most importantly, I hate to say, but not, not yep. really. I love, you know, family is super important. I grew up uh, near grandparents and uh, my wife grew up near grandparents. And so we want to really be involved with our grandkids. So that's Chicago, which most people would not say is the ideal retirement climate for sure. But uh, we, I lived in Chicago. My dad was from Chicago. So we've been pretty Chicago. I grew up in Cleveland, but uh, I was always had a pretty close ties to Chicago. So we'll probably head up there. Um, I have a son and his wife in Washington, D.C., so I'm sure we'll get there a bit too. And then explore all kinds of things. I'd still like to be involved with Miami in some ways. But, you know, I've had a lot of students over those 30 years that I've been here, and some have offered me some uh, ideas of how I could be involved in, in some of their activities, whether it's being on a board of directors or doing some consulting work. Uh, and I, uh, being very involved in my national organization, I know folks at almost every university and a couple of them said, Oh, you're moving to Chicago, huh? Go, yeah. Well, you know, you want to teach up here. Well, we, we always have, you know, opportunities for you to teach up here too. So we'll look at all those options. I don't think uh, my wife's pretty sure I will not just sit still. Mm-hmm. She says, you're not going to go from a hundred to zero in, uh, uh, in uh, overnight. So, uh, and I don't plan on doing that either, but you know, something that fits in with, uh, a, a, a different lifestyle will be the type of thing. So, uh, We'll we'll see whether where where that where that goes, but uh, I always want to be involved with Miami, whether it's up with the Chicago Alumni Club or still somehow getting back to campus on occasion. Uh, I don't know, but uh, uh, I've been. Uh, you look back on careers and you go, how did this all happen? And I don't know. It, it's you know some of it is just being at the right place at the right time. I remember before my dad passed away, he said. Wow, you became an accounting professor. I never thought you'd travel the world. I go, either did I. You know, I taught in Luxembourg. I've taught in Seoul, Korea uh, this past summer because of my association duties. I was in Australia. We were in Cyprus. Uh, we're going to be going to Taiwan with Miami. We had student trips to Vietnam. And the last place I thought I'd visit as a kid was Vietnam and loved it. And uh, certainly Vietnam, Cambodia, Hong Kong, uh, you know, various other places. It's been Honestly, you know, it sounds trite, but it's been an honor and a privilege to to do what I've done and be able to become chair and then the dean of of the farmer school for a few years. It's all been kind of really special to me. Super fortunate. Well, it's it's an incredible testament that, and I love that, that there's students now or young alumni who are asking you, you know, maybe you can go help them in the, in the private sector, even being on the board of mm-hmm. consulting. And, and who knows, maybe in 30 years, one of those students that's sitting in farmer right now is going to be sitting in your dean chair. And that's That'd be same, cool. that same mentorship is just flipped to the next generation. It is. I mean, it's amazing how many Miami undergrads have gone on to get doctorates. There's quite a few in the farmer school or Miami undergrads who came back and are at, at farmer and, uh, and many of the departments have at least one uh, accountancy has quite a few alums actually uh, there as well, too. But uh, I hope so. You know, the, 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 I guess it's what the most popular or the, the most flattering uh, thing you can have is somebody wants to copy what you do and, and, and means a lot. And uh, even just this past year, we've had uh, some of our 
undergraduate alumni enter the academy. One finished up his doctorate this past year, or is finishing up, I guess, at uh, uh, or not finished up at Illinois. One at Ohio State, and they're uh, joining as as well as some other folks too. It's just terrific to see fo- uh, our students who want to kind of do what you do, and that's. You know, that's the best testimony, the highest form of, you know, flattery, I guess, as they say, is to have students who want to do what you did. And, you know, that was my experience here. I never thought, you know, somebody said, oh, did you always want to be an accounting professor? I go, 18 year olds don't really think about becoming an accounting professor in most cases. It's just that you met great people at Miami. They were interested in you. You said, wow, that would be a really interesting career to pursue. Well, and that's the special thing that Miami does so well. Yep. Really well, does. as a Miami graduate and a business school graduate, a just a simple thanks for molding the minds of many that go through there every year. And you know, every week when I have this pod and and talk to alumni, I am sure you have taught many of them, and just the business school has helped them along the way. So, well, wishing well, thank, you well, thanks for doing this yeah, too, yeah. yeah, and wishing you the best and getting more family time and grandkid time. And <laughs> I think you're. I'm, I'm sure you'll be back helping Miami in some way and not sitting still. I, I, I certainly plan to. So it, again, it's been it's been. A privilege that, you know, you can't even describe. It really has been. So it's been terrific. Thank you, Dean Rubin, for all you have done. Enjoy your family time now, and I hope to still grab a cold one with you at Skipper's in the near future. Thank you. Thank you.